Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, to get 20, 20, 20, to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. The following podcast is a member of the Great Big Owl family. Hello, welcome back to Smash Pod. This is part two. If you want to hear part one, why not go back and listen to that? In the meantime, here's part two. I hope you enjoy. I really do. We're too late. Well, at least he died on the job. He'd have wanted it this way. Uh, so, yeah, so they have their little bath and... Um, uh, he, he, and you see, and as a boy, as I say, as going back mm. to being a boy, going to see this, it was just like this is the most erotic thing I could ever imagine. Well, it is, boy. It is. I would love to be James Bond. Yeah, women want him, men want to be him, especially in this particular scenario. Yeah, and to be in those baths with all those lovely young ladies catering to your every need. Gosh, mm. it's a terrible, terrible thing. Awful misogyny. But, uh, but as a as a young boy. I just thought this is the bee's knees. Mm. But Tanaka asks Bond, who do you think would have the muscle to do such a thing? And Bond goes, well, it's obviously Spectre in it because it's always Spectre. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> who else would it possibly be? It was only in the 70s when they couldn't use Spectre anymore. They had to actually start, start thinking of actual villains. Yeah, I know. And, but it was quite interesting, though, that, that Fleming came up with, with Spectre because mm. obviously in his first books, it was always Schmirsch. That's right. The, the Russian um, Secret Service. Mm. And he realised, actually, towards the end of the 50s, that we weren't always going to be at war with the Russians. Yeah. And he needed to come up with another kind of, another kind of enemy. And he was pretty prescient to come up with yeah. the idea of an international criminal organisation, um, you know, which is kind of imagining the world we're in now that they've sort of almost styled themselves on on Spectre. Mm. But, but you know, that was pretty clever of him to uh, to come up with that idea and say, look, we can't just keep fighting the Russians. Let's, let's have something else that will sort of cover all bases. And and so the first few of the films are a little bit odd in they try and accommodate both Spectre and Schmirsch at the same time. Yes. Um, which is, is, is slightly confusing. Well, it, it definitely works in From Russia With Love because they're, they're not the suspects. Spectre certainly aren't the suspects because everybody involved is a Smirsh agent who has yes. unofficially defected without anybody knowing. Um, but yeah, no, it's a really yeah, yeah, that really makes sense. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> but um, yeah, it made me think though, because you know how the sort of Daniel Craig era is people suspect will be kind of ring fenced because it's its own thing. Yeah, it made me think that the Connery area and a bit of Lazenby is like that as well, because obviously by the time Diamonds Are Forever finishes, they can't use Spectre anymore. 
So throughout the entire Roger era, it's a whole new world of bad guys. Yeah, and it, and it's always the hardest thing in films is to mm. is to say, well, who are going to be the villains? Yeah, um, because things can change quickly. Mm. Um, is it in one of the the uh, the Rambo films where it's like he's yeah, Rambo three with the, with the Mujahideen? That's right. It's dedicated um, to the brave fighters of the, the end. Yeah, who were uh, because they were fighting the Russians at the time. And Bond does um, it as well in the Living Daylights. Yes. Yeah. So it, and so you 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 start to get into the catch-all territory of sort of international drug dealers because they're all bad, um, and but but it's you know it's it's a re- it is a really tricky one if you're doing these big action thrillers is who are the villains you know are they always going to have to be some foreign power you know are they going to be oh we're going to do our terrorists this time you know and things change and one day someone's a hero the next day they're a villain and vice versa so well, that's where the roger one's got it right because you're always going to be a villain if you want to live underwater and destroy the world and you're always going to be a villain yes. if you want to blow up kill every living thing on earth apart from plant plants and then come down and start mm. again but you know that how many films did they do that in well that's on a majesty's secret service that's um the moonraker spy, spy love you me. love me yeah yeah it's essentially yeah yeah, yeah. but they're classics Yes, and you know, in the end, I, I, they sort of work better if it is just something that's not too tied in with with current current politics. Yeah, I mean, I'd rather watch uh, a fish-handed man trying to drown the world <laughs> than a political thing about the water shortages in Bolivia in Quantum of Solace. Yeah, really. Yeah, is that what that was about? I think so. <laughs> I think so. I mean, much like the water in the that the film runs dry quite quickly. Yes. Um, yes. In the end, it and you know, Hitchcock had it right. Why not just have a big engine noise over? I'll tell you who the villains mm. are. Mm. I'll tell you who they're working for. <laughs> right. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> Don't worry. There's a car chase in a minute. Yeah. <laughs> um, so yes. Yeah, so, so Tanaka says they're going to get quite sexyful with the ladies, which I thought is a very. Mm. It's the sort of thing the BFG would say about pornography. <laughs> So I think that's definitely dull. It's quite sexful. Yeah. Ooh. Um, I'll rob me schnoz Um So then he gets his meeting with Asato. And um, yeah, I, I don't think Bond's thought this through because he says his name is uh, Fisher. And uh, they say, where's Williamson, the man we usually meet? And Bond just goes, oh, he fell into a pulverizer. <laughs> I mean, that arouses suspicion immediately, doesn't it? Yeah, he could have said he had a heavy cold. Yeah, anything else than that. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and they scan him and he's wearing a pistol, which again doesn't seem very sensible. And uh, he basically says, oh, well, you know, I'm interested in what you do here. But And then Zata goes, anyway, I've got work to do, so you better leave. And as soon as he leaves, he turns to his assistant, Brant, and says, kill him. Mm. So not the most successful questioning mission in the world, really. Well, it's successful in terms of our plot. Mm, mm. It says, we need some other baddies. We need to see who they are. We need to set him on his tail. Uh, and we'll look forward to seeing them killed later on. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, I mean, you know, people always talk about James Bond as being a spy. Mm-hmm. He's not a spy. He never no. does any actual spying. And he's he's not much of a secret agent is no. either. There is, I mean, in the books particularly, there is no clever plotting. Mm. He ter- he's, uh, M says... Here's a bad guy. Go and sort him out. And Bond turns up and sorts him out with with physical violence. Yeah. There's no clever sneaking around and finding files and uh, doing research and putting things together and 
uh, f- following someone to get clues. None of that. No. And and thank God, it's not because these, oh, these yeah. are action thrillers. And it would be quite boring. Yeah. Well, it's interesting mm. that in um, I won't name any names, but in mm. at least one of the recent um, sort of uh, uh, adult James Bond uh, book continuations. Yes. Um, the author has gone made the mistake of thinking that's what Bond ought to be doing. Mm. Uh, looking at talking to people who are looking at computers and uh, reading files and things. You think, no, Bond just needs to turn up and fight someone. Yes. Again, I read one, no, naming no names, <laughs> John Gardner, uh, <clears throat> where uh, Bond is has purposely been given no gadgets or weapons apart from a baton. Mm. And it was really boring. What, like a bread roll type? Like a bread roll, yeah. <laughs> and in the end, he made a sandwich. It was really unfulfilling, <laughs> ironically. Uh, so he, yeah, after he leaves, he gets involved in a sort of drive-by shooting uh, where he gets saved by Aki. And then the Tanaka's men come and grab the other car with a magnet and drop it off somewhere into the sea. Mm. Yes. Yeah. And uh, Bond is it Bond has got the, the sort of television device in the yes. car. Yes. And he's following it. And it's a clever device because it is showing this incident from several different angles, mm. including from from above. So yeah. they must have actually had a fleet of helicopters, oh. all with cameras. They were way ahead um, of the times, the Japanese. Filming all this. Mm. Uh, but again, it's one of those moments which is absolutely ridiculous to pick mm-hmm. a car up with a giant magnet and drop it in the sea. Mm. Um, but what fun. Oh, it's great. But there's also a sort of window into the future as well because Tanaka's talking to him in the car on a Sony TV and most mm. of the Daniel Craig films were Sony and they had Sony product placement everywhere. So it was well, a shape of are. things to come. Um, so they go down to the dock because he wants to check out this boat called the uh, Ningpo. And as soon as they get there, they get attacked by a forklift truck. And then we get this amazingly shot sequence because Lewis Gilbert directed this and the rooftop fight where it's just like a helicopter... Oh, yes. Shot, which is yes. all one take and looks brilliant. Yeah, but there, there are some, some magnificent set pieces mm. in the film. And, uh, you know, they must have constantly been thinking, how do we do a fist fight that's going to be a bit different yes. to the last one? We'll use a sofa. Mm. A sofa, a helicopter. Mm. Whereas in the Roger Moore ones, it was like, should we do a train again? <laughs> this time, Jaws is in the cupboard. Yeah. yeah. Or a yeah. lift. Could do a lift. Lift. <laughs> I've done one of them for a while. Yeah. Um, but eventually he beats up all the guys. Aki gets away, but then he gets captured. He gets knocked out and taken to Helga Brandt. And when he wakes up, he's sat in a chair and he's tied to the chair. And he says, he admits, he says, all right, I admit it. I'm a spy. I've stolen a Sato secret MSG recipe. And if you go in with me, I'll split the money with you. Because industrial secrets are big business. Hmm. Which I think is, it, a, is it actually an MSG I recipe? I have no idea. <laughs> I hope so. It's just monosodium glutamate. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, well, again, it's in a long line of preposterous um, ways to get away from being captured. But at least he's thinking on his feet. Yeah. But, I mean, you know, it's like, I mean, Goldfinger. Mm. Uh, it makes no sense in the book. It makes tiny bit more sense in the film but it's mm. kind of you know i'm an enemy secret agent an assassin who's been sent here to kill you but why don't we just go into business together yeah oh okay yes that's maybe a good idea mr bond <laughs> no mr bond i want you to take 40 <laughs> percent. 
<laughs> um, so Brant then sort of plays me his own game and, and goes along with him and has sex with him. And then she says, we'll go off on a plane together. And when they're in the plane, she then sort of straps this plank of wood across them and jumps out. Mm. But luckily, what she didn't um, realise is that not only did he study Oriental languages at Cambridge, it came with a night night course in judo chops. (laughs) Because he smashes through the plank and then safely lands the crashing plane. Yeah, so this was this... This would have been before the sort of, um, oh, my mind's gone blank. Hmm. Uh, not Jackie Chan, the other fella. Bruce Lee. Bruce Lee. Hmm. That was more 70s, wasn't it? So, yeah, I think late 60s, early 70s, but I think before, yeah. I so, be but there obviously, there obviously was an interest in that whole, hmm. uh, the, the, the start of the sort of obsession with the Eastern martial arts kind of yeah. um, vibe. But it obviously wasn't as big because you, 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 I think if it was a bigger cultural thing, it would be in this a lot more. Because by the time you get to yeah. the man with the golden gun, it's in it a lot. And obviously, living yeah, that very much. That was totally yeah, yeah, it totally uh, on the back of uh, the whole kung fu craze. Because when they do mirror what's going on culturally, they don't just mirror it; they kind of rip it off. Yes, and they haven't really done that here as much as it just to be a kind of dressing rather than a whole yeah. ethos of the film. Um, but yeah, so he um, he goes back to Tanaka's and there's good news. They've identified the coastline from the photograph. It's an island called Matsu. So then Bond, uh, he'd previously messaged that he wants um, Tanaka to contact British HQ and tell him to bring little Nellie and her father. Mm. And when it arrives, Tanaka seems a bit disappointed that it's not a, a lady. <laughs> that it's actually a, a plane. Uh, and then we get Q, lovely Q, um, who's the father. And he explains that little Nelly is, in fact, a small sort of helicopter plane thing. It's a gyrocopter. Gyrocopter, yes. Which was obviously a working thing. It was, and the guy that that, that flew it it in the film, Mm -hmm. it was his invention. Yeah. And uh, I remember at the time he was on a lot of TV shows. And I bet he was. Talking about this. And he was, pro- he was exactly what you wanted. He was a sort of mustachioed, um, <laughs> uh, posh RAF type. Yeah. He was slightly bonkers. Yeah. Uh, and he was obviously hoping on the back of this that the, the, the production lines would be rolling and they'd be making hundreds of these things. He probably thought it would take off. <laughs> hey! Oh! Hey! Uh, but oh. I, don't, I don't think they did because it looks quite unsafe when you see it yes. now. It yeah, well, it, I mean, the, uh, in fact, I mean, the, the helicopters all round were quite unsafe yeah. in, in the film. Mm. There was the, the the was he the cinematographer or cameraman who had actually had his oh yeah foot, his foot sliced his off foot by, sliced um, off in I think in the in the magnetized car sequence. Yes, the helicopter got too close together, and yet yeah, sliced through the side of the helicopter. So helicopters are always a, a nightmare and need to be steered well clear of, and particularly a little tiny one. Little but in mm. the film, mm. going back to my, my boyhood self, then Please. you think, oh, mm. my God, this is just the best thing ever. It's got rockets. It's got everything. And it's of course, aerial uh, mines. Yes. <laughs> James Bond is just going to basically blow everybody else out of the sky. Mm. And he does. But does he actually go anywhere on it? I can't. He flies to the volcano. Oh, and he has a look round, yes. This yes. is one of those classic examples, because he goes to the volcano and he's like, oh, well, there's nothing here, I'm going to go now. And then he gets attacked, and it's like, well, why did you do that? Because he was going to go and not say yeah. anything. But now you've, you've made him think. Yeah. 
But yeah, he takes them all out quite quickly with his rockets and his aerial mines, which are little mines with parachutes on them. <laughs> <clears throat> and um, yeah, he takes them all out. He comes back and um, the, when he gets back, uh, he, he lands and then we cut to the Russians launching their next rocket. And again, it gets eaten by a capsule. Mm. So, so the idea is, yes, that the Russians will blame the Americans and the Americans will blame the Russians. They'll both go to war mm-hmm. and um, Spectre will be able to clean up yeah. on the back of it. I've never understood in what way. Uh, well, profit, you know, <laughs> oh, profits right. from war. Profits from war, massive, of course. There's massive profits to be made from war, particularly if you're making armaments, munitions, mm-hmm. that kind of thing. Aerial um, mines. Yes. Yeah. Uh, ro- uh, rockets inside volcanoes. Yeah. Uh, you sell them to everyone. Yeah. Yeah, I hadn't thought about that. Thank you. <clears throat> so then we get to see the rocket not only, as you mentioned earlier, not only take the capsule, but also come back to the volcano and land safely. Mm. Which is something that Elon Musk does now. Yes. Except the rocket doesn't call anyone a paedophile. <laughs> so that's the one key difference. <laughs> uh, so inside the crater, the, 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 we get to see Ken Adams' set, which is the most, until The Spy Love Me, is possibly the most incredible set. I think it's better than The Spy Love Me. I think it is as it well. Is a t- because it is such a total fantasy. Yeah. And also you know, The Spy it's- Love Me is based on something which exists, the, mm. you know, in, mm. the inside of one of these tankers. But that just, I mean, it, 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 is, it is an extraordinary set. Yeah. It must have been absolutely huge. Yeah, and it's got a real helicopter landing pad in it that can land actual helicopters. <laughs> That's how big it is. And mini mokes driving around. Yeah. Uh, and I think the difference is the Spiral of Me, as you say, is based on a real thing, but also it's, it's built within a set, whereas this, within a, a hangar type thing, mm-hmm. the W7, W7 stage, which at this point didn't exist. So they actually had to build that outside so I guess that gave him a bit more room to expand mm-hmm. it. And yeah, it's a stunning piece of work. Every every time you see it, you're just like, bloody hell. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, you see what they're doing with it, basically. They bring it back, they kidnap the astronauts, and then they just kind of put the rocket into storage. Uh, it's just amazing. But there's one man giving the orders as the work- workers remove from the capsule, and he's sat in a chair stroking a cat. We can't see his face, but we know who he is. Well, we don't. It, at the time, you probably didn't. And that, yes, so up to that point, he hadn't showed his face in any of the films. No, no, you've just seen the hand and the cat. Yes. And he's known as number one. Yes. And so there is a a great anticipation here Mm. of are we going to see his face and and what might he look like? That's right. And it's not a disappointment. It would have been because Pleasance wasn't the original casting. No, I mean, so many of these the, these films, you look back and uh, mm. what was originally out, you think, oh, my, thank yeah. God for that. They didn't do that. Yeah. Uh, but, yeah, so who, who remind me who the originals that they'd been after. In uh, fact, they started filming with someone, they didn't they? They did, yeah. Um, I someone can't remember who not was. particularly, he's not a name, was he? No, uh, I can't remember who it was right now, but he looked like Father Christmas. <laughs> yeah, so he just didn't have that sign of... He didn't have that kind of scary thing that Pleasance just has without even speaking. Oh, but what an actor. Oh, he's amazing. Um, oh God, I've I recently watched again Deathline, where he <laughs> he plays against type quite severely, but he does it so well. He was, uh, he was just brilliant in everything that he mm. did. And, um, you know, what must it have been like in real life was, was just whatever he did with people just terrified of him. Yeah. If he went to the post office, I'd like to buy some. Stamps, please. <laughs> Everyone's. Uh, I can't do Donald Pleasant, no. but uh, you know it because it's a bit like Tommy Cooper. Whatever he 
did or said everybody just thought it was a joke and just yeah. would piss themselves laughing even when he died even when he died on stage they they were just erupting with laughter god yeah i watched um, that that was terrifying and so mm. you know for donald pleasance just wherever he went people were just shitting themselves yeah and either that or they thought michael myers was nearby <laughs> so wherever he went he was yeah. screwed you think he's bad enough you wait mm. till you see who's lurking around the corner <laughs> Uh, so yeah Blofeld removes himself to his quarters with his uh, henchman hands uh, to feed his piranhas <clears throat> he's not too happy with um, uh, Asato and Brandt um, he, he talks to some representatives from China and this is the bit that made me laugh uh, <clears throat> they, they, he wants to start a war as you mentioned between Russia and the United States mm. and he asks for 100 million dollars in gold and they're <laughs> like that's a bit extortionate and it's like well it's in the name it's Inspector. That we're extortionists. Yes. What are you expecting? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, it needs to be extortionate. Exactly. If it's not the other one, it's not one of the other categories. We have to ex- do the extortion. Otherwise, it would be spurter. Yeah. Instead of extortion, it would be reasonableness. Yeah, and the Trades Description Act will come down <laughs> as like a ton of bricks. <laughs> Hello, my name is Pete Ellison. This is Dave Cribb. Hello, and we do a podcast called Friends with Friends, as you might have guessed from the music that's playing underneath, uh, which is a sort of lo-fi rendition of the Friends theme tune for rights reasons. We get a different guest on every week on our podcast to talk about their favourite episode of Friends. And we look through it in excruciating detail. We pick through levels of plots like no one has ever done before. So if you like Friends or just listening to people talking, which are both valid activities, do look us up on the old podcast app and that friends with friends and we're on twitter at friends wf millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from noom like evan who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad. And I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive in June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon-quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive and June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive and June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. 
Uh, but he kills Brandt because she failed him because she didn't kill Bond in that plane crash. Yes, she is the classic um, mm. bad girl that Bond has sex with and then yeah. dies horribly. Well, she gets fed to your piranhas, Charlie, so you must have enjoyed that as a child. Well, yes. Mm. I mean, it's the sort of thing we've seen a lot of since, mm-hmm. that kind of thing. But yeah, how brilliant to have a, a tank full of piranhas in your office. Yeah. Awesome. With a special retractable bridge over it. I mean, at some point in the future, Blofeld's going to be sitting there doing some admin, <laughs> and this skeleton's just going to float to the surface, and it's going yeah. to be a real nightmare to fish it out. And... Or someone's going to kn- knock at the door, and he's going <laughs> to rush across the room to answer it, slip, yeah. and he's and he's in his pool. He's in his pool. But you also, know you know, this this can't be the first time he's done this. No, because that retractable bridge was only built for one reason. Yeah, you'd think nobody would stand on the bloody thing, particularly right. if they knew they'd done wrong. No. Think, I'm going to stand on the desk. Yeah. It's all right. <laughs> you go on. I'll stay here. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so then Bond goes to meet Tiger, and um, then we meet his team of ninjas. Yeah. At the training school. Um, and he gets to, he gets shown all sort of what they can do. So they could do throwing stars. Mm-hmm. They do shooting guns. And they have special cigarettes that fire bullets. Yeah, yeah. You know they've always said smoking, smoking can kill. Yeah, and uh, it certainly can. They should use this in the advert. <laughs> Not that they do that anymore. Put it on the cigarette packs. Exactly, smoking can kill low-level henchmen. <laughs> uh, Tanaka tells him, "Look, basic. Basically, Tanaka says to him, look, Bond, you 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 can get involved in this mission, but to do it, you're going to have to yellow up.' Yes. Yeah. This is where the film takes it. Uh, a very very dodgy turn a very dodgy turn yeah i mean it's it's a bit which like, even at the time was incredibly unconvincing oh it's awful it's it reminds me of that bit in have you seen team america yes when they yes. dress him up as a a, a, a arabic agent <laughs> and they have this long montage bit and all they've done is stick extra eyebrows on him <laughs> i mean they've just they've just added eyelids to him Essentially, yeah, giving him, him a terrible haircut, yeah, and shaved his chest. Oh, and shaved his chest, of course, yeah, which is an operation in itself. Yes, yeah. It took apparently three days to shave Sean Connery's chest and with scaffolding and all sorts. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but also, he'll have to get married and establish a deep cover. But the only problem is he'll need a girl from the island. And then Tanaka describes that the girl he's thinking of has a face like a pig. Mm. So you can see Bond thinking, you know. War's all right. <laughs> <laughs> I'd rather war than that. Uh, so, if not for the first time, Bond will have to turn Japanese. Yes, and and get married because you know again that comes up in mm. in quizzes and things about mm. Bond of like, uh, you know, in what film does he get married? Mm. Um, which is obviously with Diana Rigg in yeah. uh, on a Majesty's Secret Service, but he does get married in this film as well. Yeah. Although, uh, technically, he's not properly married because he uses a false name, I believe. That's right. Um, but he still is Mr. Chowmane. Yeah. <laughs> the Betty Hill character. Yes. He calls Tanaka an idiot and yeah. they get on with the ceremony. <laughs> you silly idiot. Um, it's, uh, I mean, it is. It, uh, and, yes. Uh, in fact, you know, I remember at the time, not, not so much because I wasn't so sensitive to... Uh, xenophobia, no. cultural stereotypes at the time, but mm. I did think 
this is not right. No. Bon- he looks stupid. He does. This this thing just this isn't this isn't this doesn't work for me. No. No, it's it, if you ignore the fact that it's culturally insensitive, which perhaps in 1967 they weren't as sensitive towards. It mm. looks stupid. Yes. He looks a bit like Herman Munster. Yes. <laughs> uh, uh, which is funny because when he did Never Say Never Again, he looks like this again because of all the makeup they've applied to yes. him to make him look younger. And and a wig he had to wear as well. Oh, God, yeah, that thing looks like it'll just elastic band off his head when he takes it <laughs> off. Um, so, yeah, so after the complicated procedure, as they call it, is complete, he then returns to Aki and they go to bed together. And then they get this really tense, well-done poisoning scene. Oh yeah, with the thread, with the thread, uh, coming, yes, dripping the thread down, it's which um, I think must have been based on an actual uh, ninja assassin. I technique. think it must be, yeah. And um, and again, that's interesting. I wonder if that came from from Dahl or from the other writer or from the from the producers. But uh, it is uh, that really stuck in the mind. And yeah. I really liked Aki. I still do. I think, I she, think you know she's she's a, she's a great character. And Bond didn't. What do you mean he didn't like well, her? Well, hours later, he was completely turned. His head was turned by another lady, and he completely forgot about her. Well, that was for the mission, you know. He was doing <laughs> okay. it for Queen and Country. All right. Um, <laughs> because you can't. You see, that's the thing is Bond. You can't in this era Bond. It was slightly mm. different with Daniel Craig. Yeah. He can't spend half a film mourning. No, and, you're right. And taking on all the heavy emotional baggage of all these people whose deaths he's caused around mm. him. You've just got to get on to the next set piece. So finding that balance of, oh, that's, that's sad, Aki's dead. Oh, let's get on and see who he's going to marry. Yeah. Um, no, you're it, right. It, I prefer this one. to mourning over a lady for four films. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. But that's the modern world we live in. It is. Yeah, we have to hold on to our feelings. We can't let them go. <laughs> even if it is the detriment of the film yes uh so yeah so he um aki's dead very sad uh so then uh after a training montage uh tanaka says we're going to go to the next day and you will be a poor japanese worker with a humble japanese wife at your side mm-hmm. with a face like a pig uh so then he has his mock wedding as you mentioned earlier and uh wouldn't you believe it the lady turns up it's not a she hasn't got a face like a pig or indeed any other animal. She's a nice lady. She's a human being. Yeah, imagine that. <laughs> uh, oh, that's a clever comedy <laughs> twist. What it should have been, of course, was Sean Connery in drag. <laughs> just for comedy purposes. Uh, but it's not. It's a nice lady. And they're married in a traditional ceremony by a man who looks like Japan's premier Ronnie Corbett impersonator. <laughs> Uh, Benny Hill wasn't free Benny Benny Hill was not free he was filming the Benny Hill movie at the time and his new wife's called Kissy Kissy Suzuki yeah what a great name yeah on some levels (laughs) on some levels yeah I know it's just things they've looked out of the window in Japan and seen but yeah but no a great uh, a great a great Bond girl name Mm, that's awesome Kissy Suzuki yeah Uh, but she uh, but she sort of is essentially Aki come back to life. In she is ways, Aki again. She? Yeah. And, it, and you kind of, and yes, the, the poisoning scene is, is, is quite powerful and memorable. Mm. But you do kind of think it, maybe it would have been better if they'd actually just kept Aki, um, Aki for the whole film. Yeah. He'd have been happily married to Aki. Yeah. Yeah. 
Uh, <clears throat> so then they go back to her house and she says, you'll sleep over there, I'll sleep over here. And he's like, oh, mm-hmm. she's sleeping in the same bed. You know, we're kind of married. And I am James Bond. Yeah. And then she says, oh, no, we can't do that. And then he says, oh, well, I won't be eating these then. And he pushes the oysters she's made from away. <laughs> I mean, what a prick. Well, I know. Come on. She was sending really mixed messages there. <laughs> she's giving him oysters and then and then told him to sleep in a different bed. Come on. <laughs> All right, I'll admit. <clears throat> so, so um, with another girl, apparently has disappeared. Um, Kissy tells him one of the the, the pearl fishers. Yeah, one of the pearl, another pearl fishers has gone missing. A lot of women have gone missing in this area near mm. the caves. <clears throat> so he says we're going to go and look at some caves. And they're Actually, going there. while we're talking about the pearl fishers, mm. uh, um, that is one of the memorable. Uh, scenes and descriptions in them in the book is mm. is is the swimming with these pearl fishes and um and that was based on something that he that ian fleming had actually uh, researched or uh, possibly i think possibly even had witnessed down there that uh, he he was very excited by the fact that they didn't really wear anything they just oh. had these small black <clears throat> triangles mm. that was it held on with a couple of bits of string Goodness. um and it's one of his, uh, you know, it's uh, James Bond as read by 14-year-olds as an <laughs> introduction to the world of sex mm. and, and violence. Mm. Um, that's That was a well-thumbed page, his description of following... Um, <laughs> nude ladies. These, these nude ladies underwater mm. and being entranced by the little black triangles. Goodness. Anyway. Back to the film. <clears throat> yeah, let's go back to the film. Yeah, yeah. Before we all get too stimulated. <laughs> Before you get to drop another one of your catchphrases. <laughs> I've just come. Uh, <laughs> so they go into the cave. <clears throat> Bond spots gas in the air. Mm. And so they go underneath and then they go through the tunnels and they come out and there's this big hill going towards the volcano. And he says to Kissy, do you fancy coming up a hill? And she says, yep. And then halfway up they get she asks for a rest, and then he seduces her. Mm. Meanwhile, down at the bottom of the mountain, Aki's funeral was attended by many sad family members who all <laughs> miss her deeply. Uh, but then halfway through their kissing, they spot a helicopter fly overhead, but then it seems to descend into the volcano and disappear. Eh? What's going How on? Is that possible? I don't know. So they go to the top of the volcano to have a look, and of course there's nothing there. Mm. So as the Americans are launching their latest rocket, Bond and his, what, his kissy discover that the bottom of the crater is metal and they watch as it opens to launch another helicopter and he says to kissy go back to get Tanaka and every man he's got and he sneaks inside with these kind of suction cup things yes which is cool he's like Spider-Man yeah Spider-Man's his way in and who didn't want suction cups uh, no one <laughs> No, I want. I, I saw Superman the movie when I was a kid, and I wanted them yeah. the one the burglars had. Well, when I was doing um, Randall Hopkirk deceased with, oh, yeah. with Vic and Bob, we mm. we had um, Simon Pegg actually using suction cups. Wow! As a, as an assassin to try and get to Bob Mortimer's room to assassinate him. Wow! We had a lot of fun in the in in the dub okay. uh, doing doing suction cup effects. <laughs> and how did you achieve it? Uh, a bit of mouth work. Uh-huh. <laughs> But Foley work, right? Sure, everything. But uh, it was a very, it was a, it was a, you know, I. It's fantastic fun to actually get to make programs where, and I always loved 
these sort of big fantasy things mm. like I used to watch in the 60s there's great shows like The Avengers and The Prisoner and um, The Champions and all these things and so I've always wanted to try and do all that stuff that you watched as a kid and put it into TV things so you know suction cups um, quicksand mm-hmm. uh, all those kind of things are you on the loads of money record yes yes because that was one of the first singles I bought <laughs> you uh, <laughs> I often wondered what idiots bought that. <laughs> I did. Yeah, yeah, you know, you look back at the novelty singles and you yeah. think, why did people buy them? But they did. Uh, I um, bought so many. Yeah. But actually, the 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 if you t- if you strip out the bits, the parts that me, Harry, and Paul did, mm. the actual backing is is a very solid um, dance track because it was we wrote it and it was produced by uh, William Orbit. Of course, yeah. Who, um, <laughs> Went on to be one of the biggest producers in the world. Yeah. And make a lot of amazing, amazing music. And when we did Top of the Pops, he actually joined us there. Oh, um, that's who it was. Playing the keyboards, yeah. Oh. yeah. That was a weird time, wasn't it? What, the past? The past. <laughs> the whole loads of money thing. It was a very strange time. Yeah, well, it was. I mean, you know, it, mm. it, was, it was incredible how quickly it, yeah. it took off. And then how quickly it went. Yeah. Well, Harry did. He killed him off. He didn't want he to did. do it. Yeah. His, his total screen time, probably, for loads of money from beginning to end, was about half an hour. Yeah. Um, but that was the power of, of live TV. And Saturday Night Live, we hadn't really had anything like that in the no. country. It was very and exciting was a, for me at the time. Definitely. Yeah, and it was, it was exciting for everyone. It's, it's an amazing mm. thing to make. It was going out live, had all these great bands on, and people were seeing all the sort of alternative comedy acts for the first time and 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 using them and showing them there and and it went out live so the energy in the mm. studio and the pressure on the the performance was was extraordinary um and harry and and ben elton really just coped with that extremely well yeah. and because it was live so we could do loads of money one week mm. my god it's taken off people are talking about it and you can feed that back in and and reference that and build on it the very next week. Wow. Um, so you get the amazing sort of feedback loop between what's going on in the public and the tabloids and, and all that stuff, the way it got taken on. It eventually ended up being used by first Neil Kinnock. Yeah. And then Mrs. Thatcher, mm. Margaret Thatcher, in Parliament. That's right. Said, we have been accused of being a loads of money economy. Well, what's wrong with that? I suppose she'd never seen the character. Yeah, that's that fucked then. But it does mean that our catchphrase is in uh, the Hansard, our official parliamentary record Mm -hmm. (laughs) of our loads of money catchphrase. So uh, it's great to be part of British history. Absolutely. Yeah, God, that's a very exciting time, though. It was. Especially, Um, I remember the Dangerous Brothers got banned. Well, they, yeah, it was quite quite dangerous. It was, it was. Yeah. Anyway, uh, but you know, as mm. as uh, that was the first TV that that Paul and I did, mm. um, and to do that as your first thing was was just, and we always thought, well, that's that's what TV is. Then you write it on a Monday, uh, you rehearse it during the week, and it goes out on a Friday or Saturday, um, and we'd go down to the studio when it was going out and and just get drunk and watch it. We didn't have the pressure of actually performing on it. So uh, didn't it all come from doing some work on Fry and Laurie's house? Well, not exactly. Um, right. It was. It, it all happened kind of at the same time. I mm. mean, Paul and I did actually. We um, 
because because uh, Harry was working with Stephen and Hugh on yeah. the I, I think the first series of Saturday Night Live mm. that Paul and I weren't involved with. Mm. Um, Paul and I were working as decorators and plasterers. We were old friends of Harry's. Mm-hmm. Uh, he said to Stephen and Hugh, "Oh, get my mates in. They'll um, uh, they can decorate your house." They'd bought a house together. Yeah. Um, so we did. Uh, it was a great job. Nice big house in uh, Dalston in East London. And of course, uh, Paul and I would would whilst we were there, we would sort of do funny voices and mm-hmm. amusing comedy routines as we were decorating and pretend to be sort of East End builders, like loads of money, in the hope that one of Stephen and Hugh would say, well, "You're you're absolutely marvellous." <laughs> uh, here's a lot of money. Go and make a television program. <laughs> but we did. We 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 managed to make an appearance. There was one episode where um, Stephen is teaching Hugh, or Hugh is teaching Stephen. One of them is teaching the other about rock and roll and boogie woogie. Mm-hmm. Um, and Hugh wanted to finish the piece by actually going into a proper boogie woogie number on the piano mm. uh, with a little band. Mm. And so Paul and I said, well, we can be your band. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, we, so we got, I got the bass player from my old band, the Higsons in. Mm-hmm. Uh, Paul's a good guitarist. I, I played some very simple drums. Mm-hmm. And we we dressed up as the standard. Uh, young people won't know what we're talking about, but often on variety shows you'd have music acts, and they'd have like the BBC in-house light orchestra, yeah, a, a variety orchestra. So there'd be men in um, <coughs> roll necks with thick glasses and, and very large <laughs> headphones, yeah. with very serious expressions on their face, <laughs> studiously playing the rock and roll and reading it off sheet music. Yeah. So we we dressed up as that, and that was our first time on TV, actually. Well, on comedy TV, yeah. uh, was was being Hugh's backing ground, and 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 we did encourage you after that. We we actually played a few live gigs with him. We put together a proper band, uh, and I kind of think that we put him on his path to. Oh yeah. Eventually, eventually did it all properly with <laughs> with some fairly major musicians. But he always loved playing a, playing the piano. Oh well, it was all very good. But talking of music, yes, we we see a shot of space, and we get John Barry's. Capsule in Space Q. Yeah. Which is one of his finest pieces. And I looked it up. Apparently it's an ostinato. Ostinato, yeah. yeah. What does that mean? It's it's a it's the kind of it's the kind of music it is. <laughs> <laughs> oh you've you've really done in depth research here. I've blinded you with science. Ostinato, I'm so sorry. It's a way, isn't it? Kind of like a way of it's a kind of music playing. Yeah. yeah. But yeah, no, that is. Mm. I mean I one of the first records I ever bought. Um, was a John Barry double album mm. compilation, and it had all you know. It had all the classics of uh, Born Free and the James Bond theme and the the Silver Crin advert, the Ipcrest file, uh, Ipcrest file, Midnight yes. Cowboy, Seance oh. in a wet afternoon. Mm. Um, yeah, all of that, and it had uh, Space Capsule used to be on all the compilations. It's such an amazing Capsule piece of music. Space. It is. It is such a classic. Mm. Bond piece of music and 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 a John Barry piece of music. Yeah, it's the great. Film. I mean, I, I I love the music for the film. It is one of my favourite. Um, yeah. Theme songs, which we skipped over. The, we um, did. Yeah, I meant to mention that earlier. Actually, we could talk about it now because it was. Yeah. It was basically the the eleventh hour rewrite. Yes. Uh, and again, Nancy Sinatra wasn't the first choice. They had to be no. persuaded to let her do it. And uh, but uh, I mean, absolutely. Uh, uh, I mean, John Barry was really clever at he'd put kind of three themes together at the same time. So you had more than one hook. Yes. So you have all the da 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 da. 
and the actual melody as well underneath or over the top and and all this stuff mixing together yeah. uh just a, a a fabulous piece of music it was originally a song written with julie rogers singing um, the great julie rogers the great julie her. rogers yeah where is she now but you can find it on um youtube and it's just not as good it's very clunky japanese sounding oh yeah. uh whereas this is sweeping and um oh. yeah you've got the little sort of plucked bit at the start to give it a slight japanese flavor and then it's mm. like actually let's just get on and do a, a real stonking tune but it was literally like i think if he hadn't have had that I think the producers said they didn't like it that much, but I think it would have probably gone through. But from what I remember with interviews from him, he was literally like, mm, I don't like it. I'm going to just wipe it and start again. Mm. Very late on, late in the day. And it's just a masterpiece. I think it's yeah. my favourite Bond. Well, Live and Let Die is my favourite, but the favourite Barry piece. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. I, 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 I think it may well be mine as well. Yeah. And um, yeah, but as we were saying before, there were so many near misses Yeah. through the whole history of all of this. Yeah. I mean, talking of theme tunes, you, you know where the actual James Bond theme originated, the yeah, Monty Norman. It's, it's, a, it's a song, I can't, it's from a, a It was from musical a musical, doing. Sorry, about India, and it was originally written to be played on a sitar. That's right, a it was called what, A Room for Mr. Something or Other. Uh, a Room for Mr., A House for Mr. Biswas. A House for Mr. Biswas, yeah. yeah. Um, and yeah, once you hit, say, well, you know, that twangy plucked guitar was, was, was sitar. Yes, and that and that sort of that moody the way the 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 one note in a chord goes up and down mm. again it was sort of influenced by Eastern music and the way that that then becomes changed and and you know Barry brings in elements of swing and yeah. rock and roll and orchestral uh, and just all that coming together. That's where you get that extraordinary. That's where you get that grey area, isn't it? Because it's Monty Norman's theme, but if John Barry hadn't have orchestrated it, yeah, then perhaps it wouldn't be as classic as it is today and maybe there would have been no films after dr no possibly you know the the, the conjunction of the severes of that of sean mm. connery uh john barry mm. ken adam yeah uh those three coming together and the you know broccoli and saltzman who clearly had yes. a vision yes and were but, very you know, pure they, to the source they, material as well yeah but, you know they'd they'd had things that had been hits they'd had things that misses the film was a sort of a B movie. It was a sort of sci-fi movie, really, mm. at the time. Uh, they took a punt on it, and uh, lo and behold, they invented a whole new style of cinema. Yeah, I do admire the fact that they didn't give in to temptation and Americanize it or change it in any way. I'm mean, guessing Fleming had some influence in that as well. But well, but, Fleming was uh, he? He'd do anything to get it made. That's uh, true. You know, when they did the first mm. version of Casino Royale back in 1953, God, yeah, TV movie, book, yeah, a live TV movie yeah. where James Bond was American, yeah, played called by Barry Nelson, Jimmy Bond, called Jimmy Bond, mm. yeah, and um, uh, Felix Leiter is a posh Englishman from yes. from the British Secret Service, uh, yeah. but they did get Peter Lorre to play Le Chiffre, which That's was true. quite a quite a coup. Yeah. Anyway, back to You Only yeah. Live Twice. <clears throat> you Only Live Twice. So the capsule in space goes up. It, it, it nicks another rocket, basically, and brings it back. Uh, but Bond sneaks into the holding cells and then takes his pl takes the place of one of the astronauts that's going to go up in the next rocket. Mm -hmm. And as he's on the way into the elevator, he's carrying his air filtration tank. And Blofeld's like, stop that astronaut. Bring him to me. Send in the reserve astronaut. <laughs> I really like that. And so he has to go and see number one. <clears throat> when he gets there, there's a lovely piece of blocking here because when he walks in the room, Hans walks in front of Donald Pleasance 
but it's from behind. <clears throat> so you're thinking to yourself at first, why has he done that? But of course, when you're showing it from the front, it, it allows Donald Pleasant to then lean to the side of hands and reveal his face. Mm-hmm. And it's brilliant. And yes, the original actor to play him was called Jan Werish, a Czech actor. Right. Uh, but he did look like Father Christmas, so it wasn't very good. <laughs> uh, but he said, I've heard you you were assassinated. And then Bond says, that was my first life. And then he says, you only live twice, Mr. Bond. Ah, well, That's there you such are. such a great line. It is, but they probably spent hours working. How do we cram this in? Mm, yeah. <laughs> yeah, beggar's belief. Uh, luckily, they don't do that with every film. <laughs> mm. <clears throat> so... He says to Bond, you know, you're going to stay in here with me and you're going to watch this and nothing's going to happen. We're going to create this whole new world order and a superpower will arise from the ashes. Oh, um, yeah. <clears throat> yeah, so his capsule, Bird One, which is covered in Russian writing to make the Americans angry, <clears throat> is ready for a launch and the crater lid opens. But then as it opens, Tanaka and these super ninjas are outside. And they rappel down. They do. Well, first they get... They get completely destroyed by machine gun fire. Oh, yes. doesn't seem like a good plan. But they manage to make their way in. Because uh, that's when Bond shoots one of the men with a uh, exploding cigarette. Ah, yes. Yeah. And and, he, uh, and it's the battle we've been waiting for. We have. With My two, goodness. Uh, two properly colour-coordinated yep. groups of henchmen. So Thank we can God. tell them apart. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, yeah, uh, coming down on ropes from the top of this amazing set... And there's people on monorail trains and all kinds of stuff. It's like Chessington World of Adventures in there. It is. There's someone doing a a loop-the-loop roller coaster going (laughs) past. But, yeah, Uh, everyone gets grenade happy. They start chucking grenades everywhere. Yeah, and there's great grenade shots where three three stuntmen fly over a high wall. Yeah, it's so good. tumbling down. Yeah. But then uh, Blofeld shuts the shutters on their room and says they are now impregnable. And nothing can prevent the rocket apart from this button that I'm now going to tell you about, which needs a key <laughs> to operate. But don't worry about that. Uh, so, yeah, there's chaos going on outside. Uh, then so Blofeld takes Bond outside to a secret tunnel and he's about to execute him. Goodbye, Mr. Bond. Uh, but Tanaka throws a throwing star into his wrist. Excellent. So We've good. We've seen a throwing star earlier. What do mm-hmm. we want to see? We want to see that thrown at someone. It's Chekhov's throwing star. Yes. <laughs> so then Blofeld buggers off, basically. And um, so Bond and Tanaka head back to the control room to stop the capsule. And But, of course, the key is with hands. So Bond does a punch-up with hands and eventually chucks him into the piranhas as well before getting the key. And then presses the button just at the last minute with five seconds to spare and save the world. Yeah, so we got one of those classic uh, Bond countdowns. Yeah, but at um, least it's not wrong like the Goldfinger one. Well, I always, you know, it's a it's a bugbear of mine, mm. the, the countdown, which is used in so many movies. Mm. And I automatically, as soon as it starts, I start counting. Yeah. And you kind of think, you know, it wouldn't have been that hard in the edit mm-hmm. to put the numbers in that actually do follow the actual time of how long this takes. Yes. And don't say you've got a minute mm. and then someone has to do something which takes at least 10 minutes and you couldn't do it any quicker. Yeah. Uh, to do, but and the seconds go down incredibly slow. You think, well, why don't you just say 10 minutes? 
Yeah. And uh, but, but that's a, that's a thing of mine. But um, I watched this with my eight year old son today, and uh, as the counter counter goes down from I think it's twenty seconds or something like that, mm. he suddenly said to me, "They'd all be dead by now." I've been yeah. counting in my head, and there's yeah. still loads of it to go. And it, it and it draws you out yeah. as soon as they say that. Yeah. But but I mean what what. What the fight does here very cleverly, which is you have to do in these battles, is mm. you've got a huge battle going on, but you have to make it personal for Bond. Yes. He has to do something one-on-one, something significant, rather than just charge around throwing grenades and, and firing machine guns. Yeah. And so that's always, the, you know, it's always the, the tricky thing in an action sequence is mm. to give your individual characters an actual individual purpose and yes. they, they uh they usually pull it off pretty well yeah yeah i've got no problem with the climax of this one there's a few of them later on where they go a bit wrong but mm. i really like this one and also blofeld's like well fuck you all then because he gets off his monorail and turns on the self-destruct mm-hmm. which seems to be just lots of lava coming out <laughs> um, well he's got a volcano he has got a volcano well, you know, why wouldn't you use it it's true uh, but Bond and everybody get away, and then when they're swimming outside of the cave they went into earlier, a plane flies over and drops lots of dinghies for them all to get into. Mm. And then he's just about to get it on with Kissy when a submarine submerges. So not submerges, it comes up. Emerges, thank you. Surfaces. Surfaces, that's better. Yes. Yeah, that comes up, and M basically is like, well, can we stop him having sex on the roof, please? <laughs> And Money Penny's like, yeah, kill no joy. Yeah, he's he, he's had to watch Bond having sex so many times. He's sick of it. You'd think he would he would learn, wouldn't he? He would. I mean, you know, from Russia with Love, when they have to stop the tape when Bond starts talking about what him and M got up to in Hong Kong. <laughs> he's he's seen it enough. And then it ends. And the, the one of the things I loved most about Bond films in the old days is it says James Bond will return in on Her Majesty's Secret Service. Yes. God, I used to love that. I used to stay to the end of the credits just to, yeah. even though I knew what the next film was. I just love it coming up. But it's confirmed. Mm. And you think, I'm going to have this much fun again. Yes. There's only one film where it's wrong. Which one's that? At the end of um, The Spy Love Me, it says James Bond will return in For Your Eyes Only. Mm-hmm. But they did Moonraker instead because of Star Wars. Yeah. yeah. The fools. The feels. So, Charlie, that's the end of You Only Live Twice. It felt like we only lived about ten times then. <laughs> Sorry, I did bang on a bit, but no, no, I, I, enjoyed... I do like I do love talking about James Bond. So do I, as you imagine, and I enjoyed you banging on. Good. I'm sure everybody at home did too. Uh, but we've reached the stage of the if, podcast. If they didn't, mm. they won't have actually got to that bit, so it doesn't matter. Exactly. Fuck, <laughs> fuck them anyway. <laughs> um, we've reached the point of the podcast where I ask quick fire questions. Yeah. I, 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 I wish I would be able to give you quick fire answers. No, it's fine because I've got editing equipment. <laughs> so I can fast show you through it. Right. Um so Charlie Hickson, what's your favorite Bond film? Well, as I say, a personal favorite that meant a lot to me, You Only Live Twice is yep. really up there. Mm-hmm. But I do love Doctor No mm-hmm. because it was the first and because as a kid whenever a new Bond movie came out, mm you'd get a double bill and they would always put ah. Dr. No on before. So I saw that so many times. Right. And in those days you wouldn't look at showing times. You'd just turn up at the cinema and you'd come in halfway through a film. Hmm. Uh, there'd be a sort of uh, industrial film on like the wonders of gravel. Uh, and you'd get a supporting film. And so Dr. No, I saw so many times, but 
Uh, it was only quite a lot later I actually sat down and watched it from beginning to end in the right order. Hmm. Uh, but it, but you know, it it was such a part of my childhood. Yeah. So I, I I loved them. Um, but actually, you know what I'm going to go for? Mm-hmm. I told you I couldn't give you a quick answer. Go on. Uh, I think I'm going to say Casino Royale. Oh, really? That's interesting. Yes, the Daniel Craig one. Right. Because it is it is such a fantastic film, and it yeah. was such an amazing way to to bring back Bond. Uh, and it was clever the way that they that they reimagined it and updated it to work with a contemporary audience. It's got some great sequences in it. I yes. think Daniel Craig is excellent. Yes, he is. David Arnold's music is is oh, amazing. It's phenomenal. Uh, the ending of that film is is just so exciting. Mm-hmm. Where he finally says, "The name is Bond," and and the, the, for the first time in the film, the, the the theme bangs in. Yeah, and you just and you think, "My God, I have just watched the longest pre." title sequence yes. <laughs> ever it's an entire two-hour film yeah and the, and the excitement coming out of that again we're talking about bond will return you think oh my god they've done it so well they've set it up so well mm. when he comes back in the next film it is going to be amazing mm. which brings me to your second question <laughs> what's your least favorite bond film I well, think it, has I know. To be, it has to be quantum of solace you know you could say moonraker but it, it's got a camp fun to it but Mm. quantum solace was such a major disappointment Mm. after they got everything right in casino royale to just chuck it out the window Mm. to to be swayed by what the director wanted to do and to come up with a a film that is incoherent as i can't even remember who the villain was in it Mm. or the girl Mm. or the story yes as you say it was something to do with water yeah um it made little sense you couldn't tell what was going on in most of it. It, it and you just thought oh what what have they done? I'm afraid so. And uh, so I, so I think for the sense of disappointment that that film gave, and the fact that it, it will never be on your list of oh yeah, Quantum of Solace. Let's have another watch of that. No, um, no. There you go. Yeah, they seem to be on a kind of Star Trek run with the new ones. It's like Casino Royale, Quantum of Solace, Skyfall, Spectre. Yes, I won't say anymore. Yeah, no, don't say anymore. I mean, it is interesting though in the in the Bond films that it, that it that it goes cyclical. They they start with your Doctor No or whatever. It's mm. stripped back. It's true to the book. Yeah, it's it's tough. It's about character. It's about who Bond is. It tells a story, and then they think we've got to just top it a little bit in the next one and up it a bit and up it a bit and up it a bit. You get to you only live twice. You've got the <laughs> the villain in a volcano. Yeah, you've got a, a gyrocopter. You've got all that stuff. Um, and then it sort of implodes and they say, let's strip it right back and go back to basics, which they did with On a Manchester Secret Service, mm-hmm. which would have been certainly a contender for favourite film. Yeah. Uh, except, of course, I, I, I'm not a fan of, of Lazenby. Sure. Um, but then, you know, it, and then it happened with the with the, uh, the Roger Moore films. You get up and up and up to Moonraker and then go back to basics with For Your Eyes Only. So yeah. it, you've had that cycle and Casino Ra was very much the first in a cycle. Um, actually, another contender for worst for worst one would have been Die Another Day, which was the yeah. which was the the peak of the the ridiculous. Brosnan it's the end cycle. of the cycle, as you say. Yeah. Exactly, yeah. and and you know David Arnold is 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 a good friend of mine, mm. and and he said you know he said I'm sitting there trying to score a piece for a man driving an invisible car <laughs> through a hotel made of ice, yeah. firing laser beams. <laughs> Uh, you kind of think, what? This isn't this isn't James Bond. This has all gone horribly wrong. Well, I felt very sorry for him on that one because it felt like they kind of they brought him on on Tomorrow Never Dies, and he brought back the Barry esqueness of Bond, mm. 
And then the world is not enough. It felt like they handed in the keys and said, look, you can do the theme, which you're going to weave through the film like Barry used to. Mm. And then with Die Another Day, they're like, Madonna's doing the theme. You can't yeah. possibly replicate that in any of your score. No. So I felt really sorry for him on that front. Yeah, it's a shame because he loves mm. to. If you look at Casino Royale, mm. um, he said in the in the writing of that, because the theme doesn't come in at the beginning. No. And he said, whenever Bond does the, an iconic thing for the first time, like put on the... Tuxedo. Tuxedo. Yeah. Go into the casino. A little bit of the theme gets introduced. Mm. And he kept and he kept building that up and adding bits in, you know, until you get to that end moment where finally he has become Bond and he has earned the right to the Bond theme tune and it's and it hammers in and you just think, oh yes. But he also weaves in "You Know My Name" all the way through, which is a great yeah. little substitute for the Bond theme because it's literally him saying, "You know who I am. This is what I'm going to yes. do," and then he earns yeah. it, as you say, by the end. So, ah, it's a shame. I, I wish he was still doing them because. He's yeah, great. Yeah, um, we won't go into that though. Yes, yes. <laughs> uh, let's go to the next question. Um, can you give me your made-up Bond film title? Well, you see, there's a tricky one for me because mm. I wrote the five young Bond books. Mm-hmm. I spent a lot of time trying to come up with iconic James Bond book stroke film titles. For those I'd be books. interested to know your process for that as well, because a lot of people well, I was try terrible. and analyze I it. I wasn't mm. good at it. <laughs> All the titles I came up with were rejected. Oh. Uh, I mean, in the end, for Silverfin, we'd spent weeks and gone through every permutation and we sort of analysed the films and we said, well, you know, gold has been used a lot. Mm-hmm. So why don't we try and get silver into the title? So you didn't do the kind of old-timey expressions that you made a slight change to? T- I tried a bit of that, mm-hmm. but it didn't seem to didn't seem to really work because we couldn't find the right expression. Mm-hmm. And also with kids those expressions wouldn't necessarily mean anything to so Mm. it was basically can we try and make silver work Mm. so we thought silver fish Mm. but that's your sort of those weird sort of bugs you get in damp bathrooms yes uh silver back no that's a gorilla gorilla. silver fist that sounds like a dodgy (laughs) sexual practice so we count a silver thin Mm. okay so that sort of sounds it's got uh, something of Golden eye, something a gold finger, mm. silver fin, naval uh, connotations. It, it, it felt about yeah, it mm. sort of felt right. So I then had to work out why it was called silver fin, and I came up with the idea of a of, of a Scottish myth about a legendary salmon, mm. which which plays a big big part in it. So it, it actually then became quite nice weaving that into the book. But you know, I, I was not great. The, the closest one we got in the books to. Um, a classic Bond title, and we did. We took a, an existing phrase. Mm. This was one actually. We we ca- I, I, we came up with a few titles, and we did a vote. The the readers could vote on which one. Yeah. Which wasn't revealed until publication day, and they plumped for the one that sounded most like a James Bond film, which was Double or Die. Mm, that's good. And, and and like James Bond films, it don't really make any sense. No. <laughs> uh, but I meant I could I could work in a whole casino sequence into the book, which was mm. which was great fun. Nice. So, um, yeah, double or die. So, yeah, I mean, I've toyed. I've tried to think of some new ones, but I'm slightly burned burnt out. Sure. And I thought, well, you know, you could take classic, already classic Bond films hmm. and substitute either die or death into it. Mm-hmm. So you could get You Only Die Once. Nice. Or Death Is Forever. I'd go and watch it. Yeah. Death Finger. I love it. Doctor Death. More will love it. Or you could take, you know, just, just put it into uh, TV titles. 
I did come up with Come Die With Me. Oh, I really like that, yeah. <laughs> so take your pick. Mm. Four in a grave. <laughs> yeah. Brilliant. Okay, so we'll go with Come Die With Me. Uh, so Bond is full of silly lady names, such as Holly Goodhead, Plenty O'Toole and Penelope Smallbone. Can you give me your best Bond lady name? Well, again, I, you know, in my books, I've, I, uh, they're not, uh, they're, they're girls in the books rather mm. than young women. But I did have to come up with, with names for them, which couldn't be too filthy. Of course. And I, 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 I fared a bit better on that one. I, I had some good names. I had um, the first book, she was called Wilder Lawless. Oh, that's a really good one. Which I thought mm. I was trying to go with the sort of tough side of the Bond girl. Mm. Uh, I had Precious Stone. Oh, classy, classy. Yeah. And uh, after her father, perhaps. <laughs> and uh, Amy Goodenough. Oh, perfect. I was quite pleased with that one. Mm. Um, but, uh, yeah, so, I, you know, I, again, it's hard to come up with news. I mean, theoretically, you're supposed to take the nickname for your genitals that you had when you were a child, the sort of euphemism for them. Sure. Uh, and your grandmother's maiden name. Yes. Uh, I, I, I was checking on this, and uh, Daniel Craig does it on uh, Graham Norton. Mm. It's on YouTube. Uh, but I didn't have a particular nickname for my for my parts. So my bond, <laughs> my bond girl is called. Um, <laughs> I don't think they'd use it. Okay. It's uh, Penis Cullinan. <laughs> <laughs> Definitely named why, after a father. Why Pussyfoot? Let's just go for it. I mean, Pussyfoot's a good name as well, to be honest. Pussyfoot, yeah, Penis yeah. Pussyfoot. <laughs> <laughs> okay, and uh, finally, uh, who would you have as James Bond next? Well, that's a tricky one. And actually, they've always been pretty clever. I've come, you know, Daniel Craig came from nowhere. No one would have said Daniel Craig. No, he was, no. He was absolutely brilliant. Um, so it's unlikely to be anyone on anyone's list. Mm. Um, Idris Elba would have made a fantastic Bond, yeah. but he would have had to do it 15 years ago, really. Yeah, he's 52 You've got to start. or something now. Yeah. Uh, no, I think he's 48. Oh, is he? I thought he was. Okay. Uh, something like that. But yeah, mm, yeah. you kind of need to be mid-30s, ideally, to start. Yeah. Um, the guy I've always really liked, and I think he's a great actor, um, is James Norton. Mm. who, uh, and really, you know, he, he played two such different characters. He's, his villain in Happy Valley oh, yeah. was just so menacing Terrifying. and frightening and very, very physical yeah. and physically uh, imposing. And then he does the vicar in, in Grantchester, yeah. which has his sort of suave posh side. So he can do that thing, which, which, which Daniel Craig has got, that he can be posh and tough at the same time, mm. which is quite tricky. Um, so I think James would make a, a fantastic Bond. Good. Okay. I'm sure everyone will be happy with that. Uh, it just remains for me to say thank you so much, Charlie Hickson, for being here this evening. It's been great fun mm. reliving my childhood. Yes. Uh, and thank you very much. Well, thank you. Goodbye. Cheers. Bye-bye.
I'm Keza McDonald. And I'm Ellie Gibson. And this is our new show, Extra Life. It's basically us talking to funny people about video games. When I was a kid, it was Grand Theft Auto. There's Sinclair ZX Spectrum. We talk about the games people remember from when they were kids and what they're playing now. Guitar Hero. The Last of Us 2. Combat on the Atari 2600. No, I love Pokemon. Anyway, find us anywhere you get your podcasts. Extra Life. GreatBigOwl.com